Welcome, welcome, welcome in to Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kitty with you on a Tuesday. Thanks for being with us. Coming up on the show today, we have an area player playing on Sunday of NBA All-Star Weekend. Former area basketball player. We'll get to that after headlines. Also, a story we didn't have time to get to yesterday. We'll get to it today. Ryan Day going with a New Hampshire connection as the next Ohio State football offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, Chip Kelly. Interesting move by Chip Kelly. And definitely the pressure's on in Columbus on Ryan Day. Also, Mike Tomlin, reportedly a big fan of Justin Fields. So the Bears may have a, an interesting taker uh, for Justin Fields. We also will discuss in hour number two, Indiana State coming off their first ranking since 1979. So since the Larry Bird team, uh, they're back in the polls this will be everyone's Cinderella pick. But first, they got to get to the tournament. Plus, is UCLA another Rutgers 2.0 for the Big Ten? Hmm. And Kyle Shanahan all but admits he didn't know the overtime rules either. We'll get to that uh, audio coming up at the end of the show. The gift that keeps on giving. This was the biggest debate yesterday throughout the day and even overnight about taking the ball first. And... We found out yesterday that the San Francisco 49ers basically didn't know the rules, uh, which is pretty damning. But also people that keep saying, well, of course you take the ball first because in the second overtime you can score and win is such a jaded opinion. Like you don't play for double overtime or triple. You don't play for that. You think about how you can win the game as soon as possible and receiving the ball first Albeit it didn't end up mattering, but you have to think that if San Francisco would have known the rule, they would have deferred. You want to know exactly what you have to do when you have the ball. Kansas City knew exactly what it had to do. It had to get at least a field goal. And they called their plays accordingly. Ended up scoring the touchdown. And we hear from Kansas City and basically said, if we were facing a score a touchdown situation, we would have went for two. You want to be in the position where you know exactly what you want to do. You're not playing for double overtime. Okay. You're playing for now. And it was a mistake to take the ball first. And we found out why it's because San Francisco had no idea what the rule was. Yeah. They thought, <laughs> I mean, Oh, if we go down and score a touchdown, the game's over. Well, now how great would it have been? I had a buddy texting me this last night. How great would it have been if, San Francisco scored a touchdown and like just start <laughs> celebrating like they won the Super Bowl. They run on the field, get a personal foul penalty. Yes, right? yes, the for, personal foul penalty. You know, a, a team on the field during the game, and they're um, like, no, 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 that's no, not that's the not rule. the game. That would have been so embarrassing. <laughs> you know, maybe the stadium release unleashes all the yeah, San Francisco yeah. 49ers confetti. They're like, no, 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 that's not the rule. But all the people that are saying, well, of course you you receive because then in the second overtime, you know, no, 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 you don't play for second overtime. You don't think like that as a head coach. And that's why the people that have those opinions are not coaches. Can you imagine that happening? And then they cut over to Chiefs players and they're either smirking or laughing. <laughs> like, like, I get that it's an intense balls. game in overtime, but they, they, they'd be shaking their heads, smirking. I mean, that would be incredible. There were a fair amount of fans that didn't know the rule. And, and I understand because we're fans. Yeah. But to I be was in confused game, because I forgot they had changed the rules. I knew they are different in the playoffs. Right. But I didn't know that 
you know, that was the first quarter of overtime, for example. I didn't I didn't understand that aspect. But well, you know, don't worry, you Tony Romo explained years. it right before the game winning touchdown. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh and the 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 head referee explained it during the coin toss for overtime. Yeah. So yeah, I don't I, I don't understand why people are saying, well, yeah, you, you want the ball first because then you get the ball in the second overtime and you can win. Like you don't think like that as a head coach. You're thinking now. You're thinking what this does maybe for your first possession. You're not thinking about down the road and, oh, yeah, we got the ball. No, you don't think like that as a head coach. Yeah, no. You you think about winning the game. <laughs> you play to win the game. That's right. Like uh, Herm Edwards once said. Yes. And you hear it every day on our intro. All right, so let's dive in. Uh, 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. And we have another four-pack of tickets to give away, sweet tickets for Purdue-Fort Wayne uh, taking on Oakland tomorrow night at the Coliseum, 7 o'clock tip in that game. So uh, let's do, let's see, Oakland is, it's like near Detroit, right? Yeah. So let's do Motown. Ooh. Text Motown to 46862. Again, Motown to 46862. You'll be in the running for a four-pack of sweet tickets. See the Mastodons in Oakland coming up tomorrow night at the Coliseum, 7 o'clock tip. Again, this is for the suite, a four-pack for the suite. So text Motown to 46862. You will be entered, winner selected, into the show this morning. And speaking of the Super Bowl, since we just discussed... Uh, record ratings, no surprise, but it is the most watched Super Bowl ever. 123.4 million viewers across television and streaming platforms. Uh, that beat last year's mark of 115.1 million. Uh, so up 7%. Uh, also a record 202.4 million people watched at least part of the game across all networks. 10% jump over last year's figure of 183.6 million people. Pretty amazing numbers when you look at it. The last two Super Bowls have broken records. Last year became the most watched television program ever, surpassing uh, Super Bowl, what was it, 46, I think, 50, 46, I believe. So uh, just, just huge numbers. You can talk about the matchup. You can talk about the Taylor Swift effect. You can talk about the growing popularity of the NFL, all the things. And this is across the all the networks, so CBS and Nickelodeon and Univision. And Paramount Plus. And Paramount Plus. Not that many people streamed, and it seems like the ones who did <laughs> had some issues. So the streaming not is not not the element here. Uh, CBS alone was $120 million, to put it in perspective. So the bulk is watching on CBS. But uh, So as far as the numbers going up, also a little bit can be attributed to a change in the way Nielsen counts viewers. So they started including out-of-home viewers and ratings back in 2020. That was only in limited markets, uh, but that measurement expanded to all 50 states starting this year. So in a way, this is also the most accurate measurement they've had for out-of-home viewing, people watching you know, restaurants, bars, hotels, what have you. Um, this is perhaps the, the most accurate data they've ever had and it leads to the biggest rating they've ever had and think about it too because these are average viewers quote-unquote but they're just counting tvs they're not counting one tv that 10 people are watching so just a pretty pretty incredible number not surprising variety of factors the biggest being taylor swift of course but uh it's not like the nfl needed a tremendous boost from taylor swift to break these records because last year 
set the record with 115.1 million viewers. So uh, pretty wild. Remember back in the day when uh, when everybody compared the the rating to MASH because it was the yeah. most watched show? Uh, it's now slipped to number 11 in terms of most watched television programs uh, ever in the 30 in the top 30 most watched television programs in history. 29 of them are Super Bowls. So there you go. Wait, but is MASH still on the MASH list? MASH is still there. They're okay. 11th. Everything else in the top 30 are Super Bowls. Wild. Also good news for the Chiefs, Andy Reid and Travis Kelsey about to return next season in Kansas City. So there are questions about one or both of them returning, and rightfully so, uh, but they plan to be back. Uh, not unexpected. I know Chris Jones wants to return, but he's a UFA. He's an unrestricted free agent, so Kansas City's going to have to pony up money to keep Chris Jones if they want to. Um, Andy Reid, the longer we go this week that we don't hear anything in terms of a retirement, the more you start to think that Andy Reid comes back. I know his wife is on the record basically saying, I don't know what he would do if he didn't coach, didn't, didn't coach which, you know, sounds good, but sometimes you just want to relax. But um, sounds like the most of the band is going to stay together for next season. And uh, unexpected, uh, you know, not totally unexpected. We thought maybe there was a good chance Andy Reid would retire, but I'll give him an offseason, re-energize. Sounds like he'll be back. Meanwhile, the Dallas Cowboys are adding Mike Zimmer as their defensive coordinator. So remember, they uh, talked with a lot of people, including what Rex Ryan at one point yeah. for this job. But Mike Zimmer was a Cowboys assistant coach for quite some time, 94 to 2006. Um, he was also with the last Cowboys team to win a Super Bowl. So uh, familiar with the franchise. Third defensive coordinator under Mike McCarthy, though, in five seasons. And... I, I just every time I think they're done, uh, something else happens. Like I, in terms of of coaching, I can't keep track of of, and it's more <laughs> rumors than anything coming yes. out of Dallas. So uh, there's a lot of jockeying, of course, for position post Super Bowl, and uh, we'll keep an eye on uh, on all that as the coaching staff solidify across the league. Continuing on in headlines, Mitch Trubisky. Oh, uh, and the and the Steelers have mutually agreed to part ways. So he will be a free agent and will hope for some takers. Twenty nine years old. So Colts, I, I don't know. Yeah, that could be an option, but he's not going to get starter money. It's going to be clear oh. backup money at this point. Making uh, cutting one Bears quarterback to potentially make room for another one in Pittsburgh. Maybe. Yeah, potentially. We, we shall see. Uh, we continue on in college football, and after Chip Kelly left UCLA, he was happy to get out of town. Uh, UCLA has named former Bruins running back Deshaun Foster as their new head coach, a five-year contract for him. Uh, he had taken a job as the Raiders running backs coach earlier this month. Um, in fact, he's coached at UCLA for for 10 different years, various roles, played seven seasons in the NFL as part of that Carolina Super Bowl team. Uh, that lost to the Patriots, um, what, 15 or so years ago? I, I guess 20 years ago. Wow, hard to believe. <laughs> For real, 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, but uh, he was chosen uh, among a pool of 11 candidates. Obviously an interesting hire. And for UCLA, I guess uh, addition by subtraction because you get a coach who didn't want to be there out of town. Yeah. 
I just, um, a guy's never been a coordinator. Now he's a head coach. Uh, UCLA in the Big Ten. Goes it from is tough. Work. Yes, I, I just, I'm not saying Deshaun Foster isn't eventually going to be a good college head coach, but this seems like a Mike Woodson-esque move where you're hiring, hiring a guy that's energetic about the job and is a UCLA dude to head coach your program when maybe he's not exactly the most qualified and a a player who was on the last you know truly great team one of the last truly great teams they've had which was like in 98 or 99 so i mean it it goes back quite some time so they're trying to see if they can get back to those days uh new college basketball polls are out no surprise purdue number two uconn still number one a change though toward the bottom of the top 25 indiana state ranked for the first time since 79 they are 23rd and the AP poll, 24th. And the coaches poll more on the Sycamores coming up next hour on the show. Indiana State, 22-3 and three, uh, this season, 13-1 and one in the Valley. They will host Illinois State tonight at 7 o'clock at the Holman Center. Game they absolutely got to have. Not, not a good Illinois State team. No, they need to beat up on Illinois State. Major League Baseball, today's the day. Pitchers and catchers report. Hey. Inching closer to the baseball season as we get post football. And for a lot of people, that's the next benchmark for the season in terms of pitchers and catchers reporting. So we'll be a couple weeks away from uh, some some uh, spring training games, and then we'll get it started late March. And the Indiana Pacers with a dismal performance Ooh. on the road last night, losing to the Hornets 111-102. to And for Indiana, this loss particularly bad anytime you lose to a team toward the bottom of the NBA standings for the Pacers though. Uh, you got to close the all-star break uh, break on a high note. And that is not what they've done. Um, five NBA teams have a winning percentage below 30% this season, Detroit, Charlotte, Portland, Washington, San Antonio Pacers lead the league and losses against those five teams. Isn't that frustrating considering how they've played against Boston and Milwaukee yeah. and Philly. I mean, that's the, that's the inconsistency of the Indiana Pacers. They play up and down to the level of opponent they're playing. And now, for the first time in quite some time, the Pacers have slipped into the play-in round, or the play-in round portion of the playoffs. They're now yeah, they're the seventh seven. seed in the East. So, uh, you know, the, 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 the mantra when Tyrese Halliburton went out is, okay, we just got to survive until Halliburton gets back. And for the most part, they did a good job of that. But now that Halliburton is back, albeit still not 100%, but uh, he played 34 minutes last night, 13 points. I mean, he was a good facilitator last night with 12 assists, but this team is not playing as well as people expected them to with the addition of Siakam and Halliburton coming back. We shall see, but this is, it's been quite bad, right, for for this to happen the way it has. And as the Pacers, again, get ready for All-Star Weekend, uh, really bad loss on the schedule. They do have one more coming up tomorrow night on the road at Toronto. Again, another team that's struggled in the standings. So we'll see how the Pacers fare in that one. Yeah, they need to to get it together and reasonably quick. Especially when you, you look at, you know, well... They they trade away 
Buddy Heald to a, a team that's going to be battling them in the standings for quite some time. I, I mean, things like that. It just it makes you kind of wonder. They they obviously have some faith, and you don't know how long it's going to take for Halliburton to feel a hundred percent and to really mesh with Pascal Siakam. But they're going to have to figure it out and figure it out soon after the All Star break. Well, and I think two big problems: one uh, in the short term, one in the long term. One, Benedict Matherin was scoreless last night. Played 14 minutes. Uh, that's a problem. And that's a, been a growing problem in terms of Benedict Matherin's sophomore slump. And it's gotten worse throughout the year. And second of all, the guy you traded for, Doug McDermott, also zero points in seven minutes. You can't try to tell me that this is a better basketball team with Doug McDermott as opposed to Buddy Heald. And then Benedict Matherin, who the hope still is, can develop into your third star player on this roster just a dismal dismal effort from Benedict Matherin last night yeah not not going to get it done and, and again for a player of his talent the sophomore slump has been frustrating to watch very much so and it's going to be up to him whether he's able to pull himself out this season or next season or this is going to be a trajectory of his career right now 46862 your text line number again 46862 if you have thoughts let us know in the text line from the Pacers to the Mad Ants, Kyle Mangus, Warsaw native, Indiana Western League grad, has been uh, named one of the Mad Ants representatives in the G League Up Next game, which will be played on Sunday afternoon at the Indiana Convention Center in downtown Indy, 1.30 p.m. Uh, Mad Ants, Oscar Shibwe, who's on a two-way deal with the Pacers. Also, Isaiah Wong, uh, named to this roster. Uh, Mangus a replacement for Kenneth Lofton Jr. He's averaging just over 18 points a game on the season. So having a successful first year playing in the G League, uh, had that Pacers contract, right, for like, what, not even a day over the summer. Um, But good to see him have success, and uh, you can catch him in Indy uh, playing on Sunday afternoon. This is an interesting format for this. It's it's kind of confusing. yearly. What are they doing now? Yeah, so it's set up this time where... They will have, like, they had influencers draft teams, and then they have a dunk contest that'll take place on Saturday. Um, and then this game will have, like, it's like a tournament. So it'll be, they have four teams. They just kind of play a round robin yeah, or and they, they double elimination. Mix or it up. Um, so. Four teams, seven players, two semifinal games. Winner of each semifinal will face off in the championship. You know, all G League players in these games. And um, then each team coached by a member of the Mad Ants coaching staff. But the, the influencers drafted the teams. So Influencers, huh? Yes, not people I've heard of. But I'm all right. not the target for that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Congratulations to Kyle Mangus. I mean, a, a local tie with going to Warsaw, went to Indiana Westland uh, down in Marion. and was a tremendous player there and then has had the opportunity to play in the G League and has um, made the most of it last year and this year after playing overseas for a couple of seasons. So good to see Mangus get that opportunity and recognition for his efforts with the Mad Ants this season. Uh, text coming in, CK Pacers front office content with mediocrity. Albert will be gone in two to three years because he won't want to be stuck in relevance. I don't know if it's that bad. Um, no, but I, I understand why Pacers fans feel that jaded. 
Because uh, they've been burned before. Yeah, because they've been burned before. I do think the Pacers front office is making a concerted effort, but I also think that it's perfectly warranted to question what the hell they were doing with the trades at the trade deadline. And I know it's a small sample size, but they sure haven't turned out so far. Trying to tell people that you're a better team with Doug McDermott than Buddy Heald is just trying to treat your, it is treating your fan base like they're idiots because they're not a better basketball team. And last night was the most prevalent example of that with Doug McDermott. Oh, of four from the field. Oh, of four from three, all three of his, all four of his shots were from three played seven minutes. Last I mean, he, night. he's a guy that at most is getting you what? 15 as opposed to buddy healed can get you 30. And and McDermott is is very much a one trick pony. I mean, he could play some defense, but he's he he shoots threes. Last night he shot threes and didn't make any. Um, he's just a very limited basketball player compared to a variety of things that Buddy Heald can do. So I think the the inability for the front office of the Pacers to accept the fact that Buddy Heald was just going to walk at the end of the season and they're desperate to get anything out of him, and and selling this team short because they're a worse team without him. Was a was a mistake, as the Pacers are desperately trying to return to rel- relevance in their own state, and making the playoffs comfortably in the playoffs would have been a step in the right direction. Now they're putting that at risk. Now dropping into the play-in round. Four six eight six two is how you reach us on the text line. Also, don't forget you can text Motown to four six eight six two. Be in the running for a four pack of sweet tickets to see Purdue, Fort Wayne, and Oakland. Coming up tomorrow night at the Coliseum tip at 7 o'clock in that one. On the other side, Ryan Day going with a New Hampshire connection as his offensive coordinator. Interesting move by Chip Kelly. And certainly the pressure is on for Ryan Day in Columbus. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. 46862 is the text line number. Again, 46862. Also, don't forget... You can always stream us at 1380thefan.com via the 1380thefan app. That's free to download on your phone or on your smart speaker. And as always, if you miss anything on the show, you want to catch up on yesterday's show, Friday's show, random show last week, all our shows are posted on the podcast page after the fact. Uh, You can look for them around 10, 30, 11 o'clock each morning on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts for now. That still exists, I think, for another month. Uh, or wherever you listen to podcasts, all for free. So, big story from late last week, and we're, we're finally getting the time to break it down. But UCLA, former UCLA head coach Chip Kelly, moving to Columbus to replace Bill O'Brien as the Buckeyes offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Bill O'Brien, of course, left to be the head coach at Boston College. Kelly wanted out of UCLA, so you have to keep this in mind first off. And UCLA hired Deshaun Foster, a former player, so both sides kind of get a change, something they wanted, because Kelly was looking at the NFL to be an OC, um, obviously got another college gig. The worst thing you can have, especially in this era of college football, is a lame duck head coach. And Chip Kelly was exactly that for UCLA. So UCLA, at least on one hand, they get the change they need. Kelly was not recruiting. They have nothing on the NIL front. 
Obviously, the athletic department there is a mess. They were last at the worst recruiting class signed for this did, cycle. Did they sign the like 10. seven players? I think it ended up being like 10 or 11, okay. but it was last in the Big Ten. It was brutal. So he is essentially leaving a job, taking a $4 million pay cut. Uh, Ohio State paid his $1.5 million buyout, which is, I mean, pennies for them. He'll call plays, taking over from Ryan Day, so that will be interesting to see. And he's the fourth coach to leave for an assistant job this cycle. Now, this is, of course, the most high-profile one. All that to say, I think both sides got what they wanted out of this. It's, um, yeah, it, it's an interesting dynamic. And, and, and look what happened with Bill O'Brien and what he was able to do um, with his career. And, and granted, he was at Ohio State, never coached a game, but now is the, is the head coach at Boston College after being, what, with the Patriots last year, a couple years from Alabama. So you look at a successful elite program of which Bill O'Brien went to after being fired from the Texans, okay? And he's translated that in a matter of a couple years into a new head coaching job in the college ranks at Boston College. So it worked out for Bill O'Brien. So Chip Kelly is looking at it and say, well, maybe I can do the same thing. And go be a coordinator at Ohio State, an elite program in college football, and translate that into a better head coaching opportunity than UCLA. Because he was on borrowed time at UCLA. They were having success. It wasn't because he he wasn't winning there. They just... People were getting disgruntled. Well, he raised the bar, and now people want more. Eight, nine wins a season, which is what he's been able to do at UCLA, which is pretty damn good by UCLA standards, at least in the past 20 years. But it shows, we know the the difference between the power four and the group of five in college football. But now this is a case of, we see the difference between being at the bottom of a power four as a head coach and at the top of a power four as a coordinator. Nothing is going to help Chip Kelly more to try to get another good college job or an opportunity to be a coordinator in the NFL by helping Ohio state win a national championship and make no mistake with the off season that Ohio state has had and what they have returning. They are, in my opinion, the favorite to win the national championship next year. I know people will throw Georgia out for good reason, but the stars are aligning that there is no excuse for Ohio state not to win a national title next year if everybody stays healthy and et cetera, et cetera, all that stuff. And Chip Kelly recognized that. If he can be the leader of the offense that wins a national title, then he's going to have greater opportunities come his way. But I think it shows once again where we're at in college sports where you walk away from a head coaching job at a power four school to be a coordinator within that same conference. It's a very interesting dynamic. But for Chip Kelly, the further removed he gets from the Oregon years, the more um, inconsequential he is in terms of the landscape of coaching. You can only lean on the success at Oregon for so long. It's well, been, what, a dozen years? And, and it, it, you look at the Oregon program, coaches are plug and play there. They've been fine, right, going forward. So doesn't matter who the coach is. They win outside of one bad year under Mark Helfrich, who got him to a national championship game, mind you. Uh, 
That's a, a program where you have the resources to win. Pretty much any coach has been able to figure it out. And Chip Kelly was an offensive innovator, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But now everyone's running more advanced stuff. It's it's not that interesting of an offensive concept anymore. No, it's not uh, revolutionary and trend setting. This will be his chance to play with the elite of the elite in terms of recruits, right? At, at Oregon, it was all speed, but they didn't have the size, right? This will have both combinations. And for Ohio State, I, I mean, uh, props to Ryan Day for the offseason moves that he has made from bringing in Chip Kelly to getting multiple quarterbacks. They've recruited at an elite level for future recruiting classes. Look, he's doing everything the he transfer can. Transfer portal has been yes. very fruitful for Ohio State. They have to. Absolutely have to win the Big Ten. They have to at least beat Michigan. <laughs> that's yeah, well, for sure. That's true. Next and year. here's the thing. I don't know if they should be... I mean, on paper, they're the favorite, but I still think Oregon is right there with them. Yeah. They're, they're both 1A and 1B. But for Ryan Day, this is a big bet on his part. And for Chip Kelly, he's trying to restart his career because I, I think let's be honest it was stalling out at this point with what they've done I mean if he if he end up getting fired from UCLA then what I mean he's 60 years old he's just been fired from UCLA like, what's the next step and he got in front of it and said before I go seven and six or and get fired then I'm going to go to a team that's going to compete for a national championship this year as a perennial national championship contender and try to pad my resume that way and we'll see how it pays off but but it's it's a benefit for Ohio State for sure just another feather in Ryan Day's cap for the offseason and I know, you know people will will say well Ryan Day hasn't been able to beat Michigan there are no excuses next year for this program based on how the offseason has gone thus far now for Chip Kelly I guess the the ultimate question is do we think this is a blip or is this going to become more of a trend in college football as far as coaches leaving decent gigs? I wouldn't say UCLA is a great job, but it's a good job to be a coordinator at a, a more prominent school. This well, just feels like a guy wanting to get out of Dodge. I think it's yeah, getting ahead of being fired, basically, after one more year. And a guy, I think, in Chip Kelly that says, what gives me the best opportunity to eventually be a head coach at a power program once again? Because he's, he's 60. You know, opportunities start to shrink in terms of a head coaching gig at a major program if you're hiring a guy in their mid-60s, saying, well, how long is this guy going to be around anyway? So similar to Jim Harbaugh and, and him turning 60, and wanting to be a guy in the NFL before he gets too old and a head coach and, and a guy that has a lot to prove still in the NFL, at least personally, he, th- he feels he does in terms of winning a Super Bowl. I think Chip Kelly is in that same, same mode. Does this become a trend? I guess we'll see how it turns out for Chip Kelly. If he translates this into a big job in college football, then I think more people are going to look at it. You look at UCLA's schedule next year, This it, they will be hard-pressed to reach a bowl game. Uh, they start at Hawaii, they host IU, they play at LSU, Oregon, at Penn State, Minnesota, at Rutgers, at Nebraska, Iowa, at Washington, USC, and then Fresno State to close out the season. Uh, what, you're looking at four or five wins probably mm. at best? At best. No, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good move for Chip Kelly. Does it set a precedent? 
I'm not sure yet, but it's definitely going to be a storyline to watch. 46862, your text line number. Again, 46862. If you're an Ohio State fan, are you thrilled to have Chip Kelly over Bill O'Brien? Let us know on the text line. Just put in CK before your message. You know, it's going to be an interesting dynamic real quick with Chip Kelly. This is going to be the first time since 2008 that he hasn't been a head coach. Oregon, Philadelphia, San Francisco, UCLA. How does he uh, take to not being the head guy at a program? We'll see. You always forget about that San Francisco year. I mean, it was, yeah, a, it was a, a complete disaster. I think San Francisco also would like to yeah. forget about 2016. I, I, I totally forgot about the 2-14 and 14 San Francisco season. Like, I know we talked about this before, but I had no memory of that ever happening. Uh, yeah, n- me neither. And, and I'm sure a lot of 49ers fans also like to think they have no memory <laughs> of that season. Coming up on the other side, Mike Tomlin is a big fan of a Chicago Bears quarterback. Is this the trade partner the Bears need. Next, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Don't forget, you still have a chance to enter to win a four-pack of sweet tickets to see Purdue-Fort Wayne host Oakland at the Coliseum coming up tomorrow night, 7 o'clock tip in that one. Just text Motown to 46862. Again, Motown to 46862. You'll be in the running. We'll pick a winner End of the show this morning. So the Bears, obviously looking, evaluating. They have several months here to figure out what they want to do uh, with the first overall pick in the draft and what they're going to do with Justin Fields. Obviously, if the Bears decide to draft a quarterback, you would think they move on from Justin Fields. Well, uh, according to a report, uh, Mike Tomlin and the Steelers could be that trade partner. Uh, the Steelers already cut Mitch Trubisky, of course, another former Bears quarterback. Uh, yesterday, mutually agreed to part ways with him. We know that Mason Rudolph is not a long-term starter answer. And Kenny Pickett, whoever the Steelers bring in, will be challenged by that person for that starting job in training camp. That's just that's clear. Now, Justin Fields, does he provide that challenge to Kenny Pickett? I guess but I don't see how this makes them any better. The, the Steelers feel like a franchise that is stuck in the Colts' previous way of thinking at quarterback, where uh, you have everything else and you just got to keep making the playoffs, right? Yeah. And that yes, I feel like sure. that, that team needs a reset. That roster needs a reset. They have a great defense, but offensively, they've had skill guys for years, but since Ben Roethlisberger retired, quarterback's been a mess. They haven't figured it out. I don't think... Kenny Pickett's the answer, and I don't think Justin Fields is the answer either, but this just sounds like another desperate move to try to do just enough to get into the playoffs. Because here's the thing. Making the playoffs is one thing. Knowing you have a team that could actually challenge for a Super Bowl is another. And with playoff expansion, it's even easier to get into the postseason in the NFL. But we seem to have fewer and fewer true contenders each postseason because of it. We've talked about this before, about people... And teams being so short-sighted about aiming to win their division. And the Bears have talked about owning the NFC North. And the Colts have talked about winning the AFC South. Like, who cares about division championship? You should be focusing on building a championship football team that can win Super Bowls, not divisions. And if if you're a Super Bowl contender, everything else falls into place. You're going to be a division winner or a division contender, for sure. But when you look at Pittsburgh, and 
it is in that situation where where does it go at quarterback? Justin Fields, despite his limitations, has still had a more successful career so far than Kenny Pickett has. In fact, Justin Fields threw more touchdowns this season than Kenny Pickett has his entire career as a starter in Pittsburgh. That puts things a little bit in perspective. But I think you're correct in saying that that Pittsburgh just seems to be desperate to bring somebody in that can get them eight to nine wins and continue to compete for playoff spots as opposed to completely hitting reset, building up from the bottom up, and trying to rebuild the Steelers into a perennial Super Bowl contender. I think Mike Tomlin likes to think that he can be the savior for Justin Fields, but I think and I've seen enough of Justin Fields to believe that his limitations are not going away regardless of who he who he plays for. He's still going to hold the ball all way too long. He's still not going to have the field vision that you need to play the position at an elite level in the NFL. To me, this is the best case scenario for Chicago. The more teams that are interested in Justin Fields, the more return that the Bears are going to get. We like that the apex we thought and we still kind of think is the apex is a second round pick and maybe some middle round picks. But if you can get two, three, four teams that are interested, like seriously interested, that second round pick could turn into a first rounder pretty fast. And you already have the bears with two top 10 picks, including the number one pick. They're going to take Caleb Williams at one. They're going to take somebody else at nine. And potentially if they trade Justin Fields to a team that really, really wants him could end up with a third first round pick. And a a Bears team that last year developed a defense that is, in my opinion, a top 10 defense in the league. They have a legit number one wide receiver. They have issues for sure. But if you restart the clock at quarterback with a guy that you don't have to pay for about three or four years, you hope you can develop, and that's the key thing, Bears developing quarterbacks. (laughs) But you hope that you can develop Caleb Williams and send Justin Fields on his merry way and get a good return. I mean, that's best case scenario for the Chicago Bears right now. And here's the thing. Every NFL team is just a elite quarterback away, right, from from being a playoff contender. It's that simple. Like, th- this isn't rocket science. I mean, you look at the NFL now, obviously the number one position you have to get right is quarterback. Beyond that, it's probably what? Edge rusher? For the Bears? No, I'm just saying in general. Like, yeah. to, to win the second most important position is probably edge rusher. Yeah, I mean, a dominant edge rusher, I think a legit number one wide receiver, a lockdown corner, which the Bears have, and that'll probably be their top priority in terms of re-signings is going to be Jalen Johnson, who should be in line for a big payday. He's one of the he's developed into one of the best cover corners in the entire league, but the Bears have plenty of cap space. I think they're 7th or 8th right now in the league in terms of cap space. And they have multiple first-round picks. They can move on from Justin Fields to get more of a return and potentially sign somebody, maybe a Chase Young, who's going to be an unrestricted free agent to partner with Montez Sweat on the other side along that defensive front. And all of a sudden, you're looking at the Chicago Bears if Caleb Williams can develop, again, ha-ha, into a, a team that's definitely headed in the right direction. But I think you've seen enough of Justin Fields in Chicago to know he's not the answer can he be the answer in Pittsburgh? Mike Tomlin sounds like, per Adam Schefter, thinks he could be. Here's the the one aspect of this debate with Fields. I'm glad at least that the narrative is finally shifted. The people have come to their senses. 
Like he had this past season to prove it, and and, and he, he proved didn't. he is not a a quality starting quarterback in this league. At least not in Chicago. Maybe somewhere else it works out, but how how often do we see a guy? Move teams and it it gets better, right? You you, you almost feel like it it gets worse. I, I yeah, I mean, you take away. Look, he's an exciting player. Exciting player. Exciting players don't necessarily mean elite players. Okay, they're just exciting. You take away the running stats for Justin Fields, and you just look at the passing metrics, and he ranks towards the bottom of the league in everything: yards per attempt. You know, uh, inter- touchdown to interception ratio, all this stuff, all these metrics, QBR, he ranks towards the bottom of the league in every single one. And he's had three years to prove that he's more than just a dynamic runner and a guy that can create when things break down. He's very good at that, but he's not an elite quarterback. I don't think he's even a good quarterback. It's like he's an exciting quarterback. That doesn't necessarily mean good, but Mike Tomlin feels like he can figure out Justin Fields. And you know, I, I'm rooting for Justin Fields. Bears fan, I'm rooting for Justin Fields to figure it out. I think he's a good good guy. He's a good leader. He just doesn't have what it takes to be a, a an elite quarterback in this league. But could he be that for Pittsburgh? It seems like they could be in the Justin Fields sweepstakes. I think you throw Denver in there. I think you throw Seattle in there. I think you throw Atlanta in there. And the Bears would like nothing more the more teams interested in Justin Fields, the more lucrative that return is going to be when they do move him. Uh, uh, another player that the Steelers interested in, Russell Wilson, which that would be an interesting fit as well. But doesn't it kind of prove your narrative that Pittsburgh is just trying to hold on to being yes. somewhat relevant? Well, and this someone sent a text at 46862. Steelers have been making the playoffs with historically bad quarterback performance. Give them even an average quarterback and they are dangerous. Dangerous to what? To get to the divisional round? Like, I guess that's my point here. You, if you don't have a quarterback, you can't win in the NFL. And I'm talking elite quarterback. It's simple. Like, it's not that hard of a formula to solve. The Colts didn't have any shot to do anything because they're rotating guys to the end of their careers or guys trying to, you know, essentially rehab their image like a Carson Wentz. And yeah, they can win you games. They're not going to get you to the playoffs, and they're certainly certainly not going to do anything once there. Uh, someone else saying another position you absolutely have to get right is left tackle. Yes, yeah, that is Gotta true. Protect that blind side. But I look at at, at the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're they're in kind of like um, look, they're in look at the Cleveland Browns. Right, they rotated quarterbacks. It's a great story. They made the playoffs, then they got blitzed by the Texans. And long term, they still have zero answer behind center. I mean, yeah. is it Deshaun Watson? It's not Joe Flacco. No. Going forward for multiple seasons. Do they feel like Deshaun Watkins, Watson can be that guy? And Pittsburgh is pretty much in purgatory. They're going to pick 20th this year in the NFL draft. You know what will be the most the, the 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 best move, in my opinion, for the Steelers is to take Michael Penix Jr. And take a guy that, yes, has injury history, but could be a really, really good quarterback in the NFL and hit reset. But Pittsburgh is just terrified to do that because, oh my gosh, it's the Steelers and they just have to be uh, good every year. Um, and, and and that's, it's it's the, it says a lot about the organization and the expectations, but also it's not realistic when you're just trying to plug and play mediocre quarterbacks. And I think they'd be doing that with Justin Fields. 
CK, are you sure it's not the Bears organization and not Justin Fields? What quarterback has the organization developed in the last 20 years? Well, outside of a talented Jay Cutler, right? They haven't done anything. No, I I understand that. But which quarterback has played for the Bears, been a bust, and went elsewhere and been good? Harbaugh, I guess. I don't think he was a bust. In, yeah, he in, wasn't a in, bust. In the, with the Bears. But you look at it, and, and Mitchell Trubisky, he just went to, to Pittsburgh. And we saw how that went. Like that, that's my that's my thing. I, I'm not arguing the fact that the Bears can't develop quarterbacks for sure for sure. But where are these quarterbacks that the Bears have had that they've quote unquote not developed and then went somewhere else and had success? Uh, another text at four six eight six two. People wonder why Detroit was training for Goff too. That turned out okay. Sometimes talented players have a light bulb go off. Here here's the thing. Goff was, Goff a, was former, a much better quarterback one than Justin Fields. Overall one. pick who led the Rams to a Super Bowl. Okay. The, the There was not a doubt in terms of his talent. He was a good player. Uh, the Rams just thought they needed someone else to get them to that next level. It worked out for both sides. But I would not put Goff in the same sentence as Fields. No. I yes, think, they're both talented, but Goff is a much better player. Goff had a, And was a better player before he was traded to Detroit. Yes, his issues, Goff was turnovers, and he was able to limit those once he got to Detroit. But... I don't think Justin Fields has ever, ever been as good of a quarterback as Jared Goff was with the Rams. Yeah, maybe maybe in college. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I mean, you consistently had 4,000-plus yard season. I mean, 2018-2019, he threw for over 4,600 yards for the Rams. He has a much more better, he's a much better pure quarterback than Justin Fields has ever been. So I don't like the comparison with Goff. Goff is a top 10 NFL quarterback. And I think he was that with the Rams. Correct. Now, he's he, he's moved up in terms of where people view him probably just outside the top five now. But with the Rams, he was back half of the top ten. But he was there. And, but it, and that's all that matters. But if you're if you're Mike Tomlin and the, and the Pittsburgh Steelers, what's the better move here? To trade maybe a first-round pick? Maybe you have to trade your 20 for Justin Fields? Or to take Michael Penix at 20? Or move up a couple spots and make sure you get Michael Penix and restart that clock on your quarterback. I, I'm taking Penix over Fields. But once again, we come back to that desperation to be relevant for the Pittsburgh Steelers. They are no closer to competing for a Super Bowl with Justin Fields at quarterback next year. So why not just take a quarterback and try to rebuild again? But the Pittsburgh Steelers refuse to go into rebuilding mode. Well, I mean, they, they want to say they can keep making the playoffs. Because it, it, clearly that's more important to ownership than actually truly contending, which they haven't done for quite some time. You know, I compare it to you know a while, a long time ago, the Chicago Blackhawks had like a a streak of like thirty some consecutive seasons of making the playoffs, and that was the most important thing for them. They weren't Super Bowl contenders for most of those years, or at least the latter part of those years. But they were so hell bent on making the playoffs, they would do anything they possibly could to keep that streak going as opposed to looking at it and having to rebuild. Once they committed to a rebuild and they brought in Patrick Kane's Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves and Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook, they won three Stanley Cups. They finally committed to that teardown rebuild and look what happened. They won multiple championships. I think we see some of these teams in the NFL kind of holding on. And I think the Steelers are one of those. So the Steelers have finished 500 or above every season with Mike Tomlin and 
You couple that with the fact that the last time they actually won a playoff game, though, was 20, 2016 season. Ooh, man, it's been a minute. Now, uh, something we haven't talked about in terms of this conversation is Mike Tomlin feeling the heat in Pittsburgh, right? So he doesn't want to commit to a rebuild because he feels like he's a guy that's on the cusp of potentially losing his job if the Steelers go in the tank and finish 4-13, and 5-12 and 12 or something next year. So Mike Tomlin, of course, wants to to stay relevant because he wants to keep his job. But long-term, what's the best play for the Steelers? I think it's drafting a quarterback, and I think Michael Penix should be that guy. 46862, your text line number again, 46862. Um, coming up on the other side, Indiana State. They will be everyone's Cinderella pick for March. We'll, we'll take a look at this team, why they've had so much success this season, and if we really believe the March Madness hype. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on a Tuesday. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney with you. Coming up this hour on the show, Indiana State. They're ranked for the first time since 79, and they will be everyone's tournament darling in March. We'll see if they can make it happen. Also, is UCLA another Rutgers 2.0 for the Big Ten? They just lost their head coach in Chip Kelly, who granted wanted out of Westwood, but... What's the uh, the excitement for UCLA Athletics to join the Big Ten? Uh, we'll get to that. And Kyle Shanahan apparently didn't know the overtime rules either. What he had to say after the game and why this is a team that has a lot of question marks in San Francisco moving forward. Plus, uh, before we leave you after 8.50, a guy finished a half marathon after having a heart attack. We'll give you the details in that one. Pretty wild. So in the last month or so, we've had this guy, which we'll talk about. We'll have, yeah. We've had the uh, marathon runner, the chain-smoking marathon runner. In China. Uh, meanwhile, I, I, can't, I couldn't go outside right now and run a mile. I yeah. wanted to. Yeah. I think uh, I could maybe run a mile, but I would be struggling. Yeah, struggling is an understatement, for sure. Uh, I can ride a bike, but uh, not running. Not my thing. <laughs> not my thing either. Also, don't forget, we're giving away a four-pack of sweet tickets to see Purdue-Fort Wayne host Oakland at the Coliseum tomorrow night. Just text MOTOWN to 46862. Again, MOTOWN to 46862, and you'll be entered. We'll pick a winner at the end of the show this morning. Also, don't forget, you can always listen in, 1380thefan.com on the stream via the 1380thefan app. That's free for you to download on your phone or on your smart speaker. And as always, if you missed anything in hour number one, you can catch up via the podcast. Just look for it around 10 30, 11 o'clock this morning and each and every morning after the show on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple podcasts, Spotify, and more. So Indiana state, Justin ranked again for the first time since that magical 1979 season where they were led by Larry bird. This team is obviously different. They don't have a, a Larry bird level talent, but they do have the college Jokic on the team. <laughs> Robbie Avila, who wears goggles, a 6'10 big guy who can step out and make threes, is, is, is part of the reason why I think this team is going to get a lot of buzz. Look, they pull off a first-round upset. There will be a lot of people pulling for them. They have a, a fun NBA-style offense, five players averaging in double figures. They're the favorite in the Missouri Valley and they might, and this is this is a a might, might be good enough that even if they don't win the Valley Conference Tournament, 
they could still get it get in could get an at large we shall see i would say it's borderline at the moment you look at uh robbie avila has captured uh, a lot of hearts of course but isaiah swope is just a tremendous guard how many times we say guard played matters in march uh ryan conwell is solid jason kent i mean as you mentioned, five guys averaging in double figures. Indiana State hasn't been to the NCAA tournament since 2011. They sit 22 and three right now, which is phenomenal. And and could Indiana fans gravitate towards Indiana State for the NCAA tournament? Because you know how much they love Larry Bird. You yeah. know, if only he would have stayed in Indiana. So. Could Indiana State be not just the darling in the state of Indiana for those that don't want to root for Purdue? But could they be darlings of the NCAA tournament? Right now, they're projected a kind of a 10, 11, 12 seed kind of right now. That's with the AQ. Uh, I think it's a team that will benefit from making sure they win the Valley just so they don't keep that that, uh, door open to potentially miss the tournament. But this is an exciting basketball team. Plays, like you said, uh, an exciting brand of basketball in terms of kind of an up and down NBA style. And... Who knows? Could Indiana State, like you mentioned, be maybe one of those surprises in the big dance once we come to March? Now, they did have at least a, a high-profile game late last year at Michigan State. Obviously, a, a rematch of that championship game. Um, but they did lose. They kept it close for a while. Ended up falling by 12. Michigan State has improved greatly since then. And since a loss on the road at Drake in mid-January... They've been on a roll. Um, they have won nine straight games now, trying to make it ten straight when they host Illinois State at the Holman Center coming up tonight at 7 o'clock. This is a team that, based on their conference, look, they, they have a lockdown over Drake uh, because they beat Drake in the rematch. And look, regular season is the... You know, it's nice, but you got to win the conference <laughs> tournament. And... They're going to win the regular season. That that shouldn't be a problem. But winning the conference tournament, that's going to be the next thing. And we'll see how they fare in the Valley uh, tournament, which is coming up March 7th through 10th in St. Louis for the uh, MVC. The Arch Madness. Do they still call it that? I do believe so. So I always call it Arch name, Madness. Arch Madness. Is it, this a team, if they make the, uh, the tournament, is this a team you, you feel like everyone's going to hype up? And then they're going to let us down, or because of how they're set up. You mentioned Swope; uh, they have a, a big guy who can shoot threes. They have a coach who had so much success at the Division Two level, Lincoln Memorial. Do you think this is a program that's just going to continue to rise? Well, I think it's it's shaping up to be a magical season for Indiana State. Haven't made the tournament since 2011. Haven't won a tournament game since 2001. That year they upset. Oklahoma, who was the four seed in overtime before they lost to Gonzaga in the second round. But uh, just one tournament win overall since that run to the national championship game in 1979. So I think this is an exciting story to watch as it continues to develop if the Sycamores can make the NCAA tournament. I think legitimately it's an option for Indiana fans to say, well, the Hoosiers aren't going to be in it. You're not going to root for Purdue, of course. So what's the next best thing in terms of in-state to root for? I think it's a Sycamores, and there's a lot to like about this basketball team. And for those that haven't watched them yet, seek out the Sycamores, check them out, and potentially uh, get on board the Sycamore train before everybody else does. 
come March. I mean, if they can get a a 10-7, a good draw to 10-7 or 11-6, I think they can pull off a win and maybe even surprise a three or four in the second round. Uh, I I think so, too. It just, as always, it depends on the draw. Yeah. But they got to take care of business first, and that's winning Arch Madness coming up here in in a few weeks because that that's that's the most important thing i get that they're ranked now but look we we see this happen and someone asking if if they're ranked in the top 25 of the end of the season how would them winning a first round game be an upset well based on seeding it would be an upset because they don't have the resume in terms of the the power conference wins that even a middling Big Ten team would have. Yeah, I think you can. That's a separate conversation to say, well, just if they're ranked in the top 25, why are they at 10, 11, 12? I don't necessarily disagree, but one really doesn't have much to do with the other in terms of impact of the AP poll and the seeding. But you look at at the, the Valley and traditionally, it's not your traditional Valley anymore in terms no, of... No, they've, they've lost a lot of teams. It's, yes. it's, it is not the Valley of 10 years ago. Correct. And other than who's who else is good this year in the in the Valley? Drake. Drake. I mean, there's not a lot of it's not necessarily a murderer's row, so to speak, to win the Valley. And so Indiana State, if they can do that and avoid an upset in the in their conference tournament, they should be able to get there. But you're talking about Bradley and Southern Illinois and Belmont and, and teams like that. Um it just you know Murray State is is down. Valpo's been down. Illinois State's down. Evansville's down. So opportunity there for Indiana State. They just have to make sure they don't slip up in the conference tournament. But if they can get into the NCAA tournament, they have the team that could be a sneaky Sweet Sixteen pick. Now something to keep in mind that is fascinating. Josh Schertz is going to be a guy who is going to get a lot of buzz as far as other coaching jobs after the season, right? Something to keep in mind, and maybe not this season, but if Dusty May were to leave FAU, guess who's an FAU grad? Oh, Josh Schertz. Interesting. Now, is, is that is a step up in terms of conference, right? Step up in terms of facilities? Eh, I mean, I I, I'm not sure. I don't know much about FAU. Hol- Holman Center has been redone in recent years. It's a nice facility. Obviously, there's going to be more investment in FAU, and there has been you know, since the success of last year. But something to keep in mind based on all this, and uh, Indiana State fans probably already rolling their eyes, and you know, this is how it works, right? You, you have success at a lower-tier job, you move up. That's just how coaching works. And I would hate for that to happen to Indiana State. This is something also you have to keep in mind. The more success they have, the more likely they are to lose Josh Hurts. And it's been a it's pretty cool atmosphere, too, in the Holman Center. I mean, last home game with Valpo, they had close to 6,000 people at the Holman Center. It definitely is a team that's galvanized the community and, and all that. So uh, if you're looking for a team to get behind IU fans, Maybe Indiana State. The trees will definitely be uh, the team with a lot of buzz coming up in March if they're able to get in. Coming up on the other side, from a lot of buzz to very little buzz, is UCLA another Rutgers 2.0 for the Big Ten? That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Little one-hit wonder, Delamitri. 
here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Is it uh, all 90s today? It is all 90s all the time here on 1380 The Fan, <laughs> 100.9 FM. Your go-to, 7 to 9 a.m. for all your 90s hits. <laughs> Just today. <laughs> Till tomorrow. One, one day only. Yes. We'll change formats going into tomorrow. Don't forget, you can text Motown to 46862. Again, Motown to 46862. And be in the running for a four-pack of sweet tickets. See Purdue-Fort Wayne hosting Oakland at the Coliseum coming up tomorrow night, 7 o'clock tip. Again, Motown is your keyword on the text line for those sweet tickets to 46862. So we talked in hour number one about Chip Kelly on the move from UCLA as the head coach to Ohio State as the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach calling plays, taking the pressure off Ryan Day, at least from the play calling. I I don't know if... Is that going to help or hurt? Because you have a former head coach, who's now your OC, who's going to be calling plays, so Day won't have the control. College coaches love control. It it is a curious experiment in a make-or-break year for Ryan Day. Well, and I think I'm sure that conversation between Ryan Day and Chip Kelly has been had to say, hey... I'm the leader of this program because Chip Kelly for the last 15 plus years is used to running a program, whether it's in the NFL or college football. So I'm sure that conversation has been had, but once you get into games and how that goes and the dynamic between those two will be something to watch. I think right now it looks like a dynamite hire, but we'll see in the middle of the season if our opinion has changed. Now, on the flip side, you have UCLA. This is a curious addition for the Big Ten because the Big Ten doesn't stand to gain as much as UCLA does with this move. We we all knew this going in. Uh, The Big Ten adding an Oregon, right? That made sense, especially from a football perspective, which, let's be honest, that's why these moves were made. USC, right? That's one of the premier brands in college football. It doesn't matter if they're good or bad. They're just like a a Notre Dame, a Bama, so on and so forth. They're, they're on that short list of teams, that top 10 list of teams as far as brands. Yes. Um, Washington coming off an historic season. Thought it'd be great, but then the coach left for Alabama. Now you kind of wonder what they're able to do uh, post Kalen DeBoer and, and everyone leaving. But at least they're coming off you know, something. At least there's some buzz for that program again. UCLA, on the other hand, yes, they had three straight eight-plus win seasons under Chip Kelly. But it's it's a football program where he wasn't recruiting. They have nothing in terms of NIL. The athletic department's losing millions of dollars per year, uh, over $35, 36000000 million last year. You have Mick Cronin on the basketball side alienating his players. The Big Ten is... I mean, they're lucky they essentially extended an olive branch to include UCLA when they added USC. Because... UCLA is desperate, and this is the kind of move that can maybe get them close to balancing the books in terms of financials. But on a competitive standpoint, yeah, they're going to sell a bunch of tickets because the Big Ten fans living in L.A. can go see their teams this season. But that's only going to last for two years. Long term, when you look at this, does this feel like a a Rutgers 2.0 in the sense that, yes, Rutgers is now respectable, finally, in football, and... In basketball, they've been respectable the last couple of years, but it it took a long time for them to reach kind of a level where they weren't a laughing stock in the conference. And, and still, people, you know, if they were to boot one team, everyone would pick Rutgers. 
Yeah, I just I can't make the comparison because of UCLA's history uh, in in men's basketball. I mean, they're, they're they much are better a brand. Than, they they are there for a while. They were the brand in college basketball. They're. I, I think they're often ignored as when you talk about blue bloods, but I don't know if you could ignore a program with so many national championships and they've had recent success, got to the final four a couple years ago with Mick Cronin, have been to the sweet 16 the last couple years. Um, of course, got to the final four a couple times under Ben Howland in the mid two thousands. So this is a team that has a, a program that has had significant, significant amount of success uh, outside of their 11 championships, the most recently coming in 1995. It's not like Indiana where you have to go back a while for their yeah, last they've, they've had title. more success the last 15 years than IU's had since, what, the 80s? Yeah, since the 80s. So in that respect, I think UCLA is a big get for the Big Ten in terms of the brand on the basketball side, something that Rutgers does not offer. But when you look at the football side of things and what it offers, I think the the Big Ten is so obsessed with that, oh, we're going to be coast to coast, is we'll add UCLA and hope they get it figured out. But, you know, it, it's a it's a, a mismanagement in the athletics department, but this is a basketball program that has had recent success. And, I mean, it's a football program that's consistently won eight and nine games the last three or four years. The bottom's about to drop out, but... I think UCLA maximized its potential in terms of striking at the right time. The The football program was kind of on a high. The basketball program is still relevant despite the issues this year. To well, I mean, they, they've been a mess this year. They're- this year, yes. But I mean, they got to the Sweet 16 the last two years, last three years, got to the Final Four in 2021. So I don't think we can judge them on one year. We can judge them on what have they done lately. They're still highly relevant on the basketball side. They've won eight, nine games the last three, four years on the football side. And UCLA was able to take that and turn it into getting basically $60 million a year for the Big Ten. Kudos to them. But I think on both football and basketball, they're much more relevant historically than Rutgers. This is a men's basketball program this season. They lost to Cal State Northridge at home. Yeah, this, it, it's, this it's, year it's is bad. not good. But now they've they've won five in a row and they seem to be figuring something out. But the Pac-12 is a one, maybe two big league. Like it, it, in their final year, you know, the Pac-12 had so much success a couple of years ago in the NCAA tournament. They're going to go out on a whimper in men's basketball. In football, obviously, they went out strong. But in men's basketball, this is a one bid, maybe two bid league because Arizona is the only team sniffing the tournament at the moment. Yes, Washington State and Oregon and maybe Colorado could, you know, slip in. It was a second bid, but it it's been a mess this season. So I, I don't know. You you lose Chip Kelly, which again he wanted out anyway. You don't want a guy who doesn't want to be there. And we'll see with the, a guy who's never even been a coordinator taking over as the head coach and Deshaun Foster, former player for him. But then also in men's basketball, Mick Cronin, it seems like the writing is on the wall after the season if they can't make the NCAA tournament either. But they're so broke, they probably can't afford to pay the buyout. Well, that's why they hired Deshaun Foster is because they couldn't afford to go out and get a big-name coach. And they found a guy that is a UCLA dude that wanted the job. 
Sounds very familiar to down in Bloomington, doesn't it? <laughs> a little bit. But the reason why UCLA is not Rutgers is because UCLA has 11 national championships in men's basketball and Rutgers has zero. And that's the main difference. But do you feel this addition is really adding a whole lot? Again, I mean, UCLA benefits way more than the Big Ten does with this. Well, the uh, other programs are strong, established brands at the moment. UCLA, uh, they're, they're great in Olympic sports. But the problem is the Big Ten doesn't offer some of the Olympic sports that UCLA is so great in. Uh, they don't offer water polo, men's volleyball, or beach volleyball in the Big Ten. Now, of course, women's soccer, UCLA, one of the, the top programs, right? That that will add a lot to the conference in that aspect. But, you know, that's not why you add these schools, right? It's not about the Olympic sports. Well, they're adding them because they can get the the benefit of SoCal and be Yeah, the TV market. I mean, that's basically what they're why they're doing it. Let's not mistake... Let's not make any mistake on why they're doing it, but I, I don't think it's fair to UCLA to judge them on one season, especially on the basketball side. They've been to three Sweet 16s in the last three years, and then football right now, record-wise, they've had their most success in, what, 30 years, it seems like, sustained success over the past yeah, since, three years? Since the late 90s. So it makes sense, a whole hell of a lot of sense that UCLA was able to get into the Big Ten, and we know what the Big Ten is doing. They just chase money, and they see money on the West Coast. Couldn't care less right now about what UCLA is doing as long as it taps, uh, the conference is able to tap into that market, which is exactly what they'll do starting next year. 46862, the text line number 46862. Uh, hey, at least IU plays at the Rose Bowl this season. So we'll, we'll kind of see how the Hoosiers fare hmm. in Los Angeles and UCLA. You look at their football schedule. They'll feel like the <laughs> the road team in most of their games uh, because of fans from, from other teams. I mean, yeah, when, when they have Fresno State, they should be the, the home team. But a lot of other schools, they're, they're, they're going to functionally be the visiting team in their own home venue. I am looking forward to that IU-UCLA game because... It's a fascinating barometer for both programs. Well, yeah, I I, th- I think there's a lot. For me, personally, I'm fascinated to see what Indiana does under Kurt Zignetti because he's talking a big game. And I know part of it is is catering to your, to, your, uh, to your team and your donors and your fan base. I get it. But at the same time, you should win your first two games if you're Indiana. They're both at home when you play uh, FIU and Western Illinois. But your first road game... And your only road game in your first five games is at UCLA. So I'm I'm really looking forward to that game September 14th to see where the Hoosiers really are under Kurt Signetti and where uh, UCLA is as well. We shall see that the IU schedule sets them up to be able to make a bowl game. But we say that every year. Yeah, UCLA's uh, schedule, by the way, they start off at Hawaii, then they have a week off, then they have Indiana, and then they go LSU, Oregon, Penn State. Yeah. Back to back to Their back. schedule is not set up for them to win more than four or five games. Uh, not ideal. Then they have to go, there's a stretch in November, Iowa, Washington, USC. Who wins, okay, who wins more games this season? IU or UCLA? Ooh. I have to go with IU. Based on the schedule. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, but based on the schedule. I don't know if the conversation was which was a better football team, IU or UCLA. 
I don't know if I have the same answer. Schedule-wise, I think it benefits Indiana. There's also a lot to be said about the spring portal window and what that means for UCLA, because I'm sure that to, will mean something. Going to have to get more aggressive in that. We'll yeah. see if Deshaun Foster does that. So Indiana, again, they don't have the, the gauntlet uh, of a schedule that UCLA does. Uh, their toughest road game is going to be at Ohio State. But then beyond that, their second toughest is at Michigan State. So I think that's that's saying a lot. They have a, a lot of opportunities at home to win games, but the pressure will be on Kurt Signetti to do something about it coming up this fall. On the other side, Kyle Shanahan wasn't the uh, wasn't the only one who didn't understand the overtime rules. His players didn't either. What Kyle Shanahan had to say that basically all but clarified <laughs> that they were clueless on the overtime rules in the Super Bowl. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Don't forget, you can text Oakland. Or, wow, Oakland. You can text Motown. That was yesterday. Yeah. You can text Motown to 46862. Again, Motown to 46862. Be in the running for a four-pack of sweet tickets to see Purdue-Fort Wayne host Oakland at the Coliseum tomorrow night. Tip at 7 o'clock and winner selected into the show. So you still have a little bit more time to get your entry in. Motown is the keyword for today on the text line. All right, so we talked about it yesterday at the end of the show, uh, recapping the Super Bowl, and it came out that the 49ers players didn't understand the NFL's new-ish postseason overtime rules. Eric Armstead said he was looking at the, the Jumbotron and was learning the rules for the postseason for the first time. Other players, you know, they just assumed, oh, we we want the ball first, right? Because that's what you want in the regular season. The Chiefs, meanwhile, had practiced and and had locked in, discussed it during training camp. They knew they wanted the the other team, if they were in this scenario, to get the ball first. It was this was all according to plan. Now, can you imagine the firestorm, though, on social media had the Chiefs <laughs> won the toss and deferred? Uh, right? People would not have understood. <laughs> no. And and there's still confusion out there, and we even had a texter in the first hour talk about this, is there's no second overtime. It's just the second quarter of the first overtime. So when the Chiefs scored, which is three seconds left in quote-unquote overtime, that was the first quarter. That's why the official head referee said, we're starting a new game, is you start a new four quarters. And that's what was going on. So you weren't all at the end of the first overtime, quote-unquote, you weren't going to have another coin toss to start a second overtime. It was merely going to be the second quarter of the first overtime. So clarification, too, with that, because I think some people still don't understand, but Kyle Shanahan just had no idea what the hell was going on. No. Uh, in fact, here's what he had to say uh, to CBS after the game, talking about uh, overtime and Evan Washburn, one of the CBS sideline reporters, talking with him after the game. Uh, here's what Shanahan had to say. Hang on. Hang on just a second. <laughs> I'm trying. Efforting. Oh, I yeah, it's... Let's I, see. I, it's I, I hear you see it. Potted up in the background. You see it? We can hear it somewhat. There. I don't know. Let's turn up everything. I don't know what's going on here. Let's see. Okay. Well, uh, he he. It was a hell of a quote, regardless. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he 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 basically said, you know, it would have been nice to 
uh, score a touchdown there and not give Mahomes the chance. Well, here's the thing. Mahomes had the chance regardless. So Kyle Shanahan thought that if they had a touchdown there, Mahomes wouldn't get the ball back uh, because the 49ers, of course, kicked a field goal. Now, you could argue he was saying that about the end of regulation, right, and not overtime, but I I don't think that's where he was going with this quote. No, I think um, it's pretty obvious that uh, Kyle Shanahan didn't know what the heck was going on, and credit to him for at least admitting it, but um, I, I can't imagine the discussions going on in San Francisco in terms of not understanding what the rules are. And again, are. that that's why they wanted the ball. They right? wanted the ball they, because they, they thought they could they win it. They thought a touchdown would win the game, and that's just simply not true. And that's why it makes zero sense to say you want the ball so that the second overtime or the second possession, you can win it. You don't think about that next possession. You're thinking about how you win the game as soon as possible. And Kansas City knew, regardless of what San Francisco did that first possession – and Patrick Mahomes confirmed it, they were going to go for two if they scored. If San Francisco had scored. So you always want to be in a position to know exactly what you have to do to win the game. And San Francisco screwed it up. Do they win the game if they knew the rules? That's impossible to say. But they didn't do themselves any favors by not understanding what the hell was going on. And this will be the narrative, right? Going into the offseason. It will be this is a team that had a chance. The players clearly admitted that they didn't understand the rules. Kyle Shanahan didn't outright say it, but based on on the quotes that he's had, clearly he wasn't entirely sure of the rules based on what he was saying. And now you have a team where you look at it, most talented roster in the NFL, one could argue, and they're going to be nearly $44 billion over the cap. It's the last season for Brock Purdy, on his rookie contract coming up in 2024 is the window closed after this upcoming season. It's not closed, but it's going to get a little bit more difficult for San Francisco because as we've mentioned, the, the benefit of having a cheap, effective quarterback is that you can load up at other positions. And that's what San Francisco has been able to do. As soon as you have to pay big money to a quarterback. And I don't think Brock Purdy that's a discussion for another day. I don't think he's getting fifty million. No. Could he get twenty five million? Perhaps. Probably. Then that affects how you build your roster around that. Right now, he's making less than a million dollars on that rookie deal. So, because he was taken so late as Mister Irrelevant, that helps. So, those are the things. Like we're looking at these these teams that you know we, we've we've talked about Buffalo and them not being able to get it done. And now we're looking at San Francisco for a myriad of reasons. And the one in the the spotlight right now is the fact that they didn't understand what the rule was. And it potentially could have cost them a Super Bowl. And now moving forward, this is a franchise that had so much success, right? In the 80s and 90s, they were down for quite some time. But the last decade, three Super Bowls, lost all three. And and now you kind of wonder... With Kyle Shanahan, there's a trend, right? Lost both overtime Super Bowls. Um, not understanding overtime rules. Look, he's a great coach. I, I don't think anyone's debating that. But there's there's preparation, and then there's next level preparation. And, and the Chiefs, 
clearly did their homework. They were they were ready and prepared for overtime. The Niners were not. There's there's really no other way to say it. And there's no excuse for it. No. And I'll give credit for to Kyle Shanahan for owning it and admitting it, but that can't happen. The biggest game of the year and you don't know the rules. It's just, it's it's damning. It's a damning indictment on Kyle Shanahan and the San Francisco 49ers and they've admitted that that was the case. And um it's 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 uh it didn't work out for San Francisco, but you you cannot not know the rules. And you know, you can compare Shanahan to Andy Reid who, you know, couldn't get it done in Philly and then Kansas City he's clearly gotten it done had a lot of success. Look, it's it's hard to win, but when you you look at Shanahan, it, he seemed to get away from what was working in that game. That was running the football, right? When they had success, they were yeah. running the football. Brock Purdy didn't need to win the game. He just needed to manage it. They didn't need him to make elite throws, and yes, he made some plays, but he never made a knockout kind of play because he's not a good enough quarterback to, to be that. Could he develop into that? Yes. But he's not there right now. And and part of it is he's what? A, a second year player? So I mean, when you the thing well, third year player. Third year player. Um there was not a single play in that Super Bowl that I looked at uh at Brock Purdy and said, Wow, that's a play. And I had many of those op- those times with Patrick Mahomes. But um it's gonna be what if and should have and could have for San Francisco for a long time because of the opportunities they let go on the field and then the debacle at the end of the game and not knowing the rules. If San Francisco knows the rule, they kick off. They they defer. Anybody trying to say, well, San Francisco did it because they could have got the ball back and scored and won it. No, that, that's, that's dumb. It is the only reason why they received is because they thought they won with a touchdown. And like we said in the first hour, nothing would have been better than San Francisco scoring a touchdown and starting to celebrate like they won the Super Bowl when they didn't. Does this feel like a Marcus Freeman situation, right? Where you're just, you're not, you're not prepared, not for the prepared for the moment. I, and Kyle Shanahan's an elite head coach. I mean, Marcus Freeman so far early returns. He's good, but he is nowhere close to the stratosphere of Kyle Shanahan in terms of, of coaching and where you would rank them. And I get it. We're, we're comparing apples to oranges with college to NFL, but this, this is like the, the comparison I would make though, because Freeman at least can use the excuse that he was a second year head coach and they, they got lost in the shuffle, even though he had experienced coordinators, so many people on staff, right? That shouldn't have happened with, with having 10 men on the field and the not, not just one, but two critical plays yeah. of the game, the end of the game against Ohio state with Shanahan. You, you can't really even rationalize some sort of excuse. Which, like I said, credit to him for owning it and admitting yeah. it, but that is what's holding you back from maybe being a current-day great coach and being considered one of the greatest coaches of all time, like Andy Reid has developed into, is you, the attention to detail. And you lacked it. And not just that. like It's not just Kyle Shanahan, but, but isn't there somebody's job on that staff to understand... Well, the shouldn't the rules? special teams coordinator shouldn't know that? Be, shouldn't you delegate or at least somebody be like, hey, coach, you might want to know this. It's like it's a failure of the entire uh, coaching staff 
uh, for that matter, to not understand what the heck is going on. I mean, think about how many like senior analysts, like positions, like these teams have, right? Or, or you know, coaches, like whether it's college or pro, advisor, right? special advisors, all, blah, blah, blah. all these things. All it's, you needed was one person to raise their hand on a meeting and be like, "Hey, by the way, uh, the playoff rules." They're different, and this is what they are. We should probably be prepared. Kansas City did their due diligence. Now you just wonder, can San Francisco get there again next season? Because Super Bowl losers often do not have success the following year. I'm not saying that San Francisco can't win a Super Bowl with Brock Purdy, but I'm, I will say that the margin is very is much smaller with Brock Purdy as opposed to a better quarterback. And with San Francisco... They are built to win a Super Bowl now, and I feel Brock Purdy holds them back to a certain extent, and last Sunday, Kyle Shanahan and that coaching staff let that team down by not understanding the rules. And maybe we'll see if they can get back, but again, it's just, you only get so many opportunities, right? And this this was one where they certainly blew the opportunity. Coming up on the other side, a man finished a half marathon. After he had a heart attack, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380, the fan and 100.9 FM final time to text Motown to four, six, eight, six, two again, Motown to four, six, eight, six, two to be in the running for a four pack of sweet tickets to see the Mastodons hosting Oakland at the Coliseum tomorrow night. Final story of the day, a runner competing in the great Eastern run in Britain had a heart attack before he completed a half marathon. Dick Chung, 48 years old, uh, was competing. He was warming up for the Great Eastern Run last October. He felt ill, collapsed to the ground. He was passed out for about 20 seconds, helped to his feet. Uh, Then he ran 13.1 miles in one hour, 35 minutes, and 26 seconds. That is a 7-minute, 16-second pace per mile, which... That's, That's nuts. <laughs> so soon after, he, he went to the, the medical tent for help. He, he felt dizzy. Yeah, I wonder why. Um, they gave him an electrocardiogram, found he had an abnormal heart rhythm, urged to go to, uh, to a nearby hospital. Uh, he said he felt dizzy and uh, unwell. They, they said it was serious, but he just wanted to go home. So he went home, visited the hospital there later that day, and an angiogram, blocked arteries, would have had to add a triple bypass, um, but he spent three weeks in the hospital, moved to a different hospital. Uh, then he caught COVID-19 while in the hospital, so his surgery was delayed. Then he underwent successful heart surgery in November, so after a month after the, the half marathon, and then discharge on December 1st. So half marathon is what, 14? 13.1. 13.1 miles. I have a heart attack. Need a triple bypass. Decide to run 13 miles before I go to the hospital. Insane. Yeah. Absolutely insane. And he has a, a twin brother who also Yeah, also competes. runs. Um, <laughs> he didn't chain smoke during the run. No. But uh, a heart attack before, before the run may be a little bit more impressive. Yeah. It's wild. Glad he's okay. Meanwhile, <laughs> I get uh, out of breath going up and down the stairs at home. Yeah. <laughs> for Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Hatch. Thanks for being with us. Stan Patrick up next. The Herd with Colin Cowherd coming up at noon. Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4. And the Sports Rush with Brett Rump from 4 to 6. 
your final chance to win Purdue Fort Wayne tickets here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Have a great Tuesday.